it is, so we'll begin. I don't know if we'll be able to finish, but hopefully we can finish. Isaiah 11 and 12. Either way, from verse 7 to 12, or chapter 7 to 12, is the prophecy of the, of the war with Aram and Ephraim. And we're grateful for many things, but especially to those brothers and sisters who've come from far away, from China, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong. I believe that we'll have a celebration tomorrow as well. Pastor Lee? Tonight, okay, tonight. Today, tonight they will have a meal. And the first week of December, we'll be having a conference in KL, in Kuala Lumpur. And I might, I don't know if I'll be able to visit Sabah or not. Oh, I want that lobster. But in December, so I'll see you in Malaysia. Oh, actually, we'll be seeing many of you on, on in April anyways, right, during the General Assembly. This was a very important gathering. All the pastors of Zoe Ministry will be gathered. And so finally, after 20 years, uh, will we officially begin to see that Zoe Ministry is one family. So please pray for this event. We will be having the General Assembly here. And so, so it'd be great if many of the elders would could come. Uh, there are many people who are going to be ordained in this General Assembly. And we'll have a conference as well. And people from all over the world will be gathering. And so, so for 20 years, I've been doing, I've been doing Zoe ministry. And when I began Zoe ministry, God gave me the vision that before a generation passes, you will be a nation. And so anyways, we're seeing that happen. So let's begin. Uh, yesterday and the, and the session before, I pray, preached for two hours and I was only able to do two verses. But anyways, ultimately, the perfect restoration of Israel is when the Messiah comes. The perfect victory of Israel is when the Messiah comes. The perfect healing of Israel is when the Messiah comes. And so it's not just Israel, but to all of us, the comfort of man, the comfort is not in the world, is not in men, but is only in God. God alone can be our restoration. God alone is our victory. And so when we keep looking to other things, that is the source of your humanism. Whether you believe that is humanism or not, that is what it is, is relying on anything outside of God. And so as we live with God, what should happen is that God must become absolute in your life. And yet many people, we see in my church members that God is not absolute in them. It's not mine. That that even when I look at this conference here, I say gather, and many people say they can't come. It's because uh, it's it's New Year's, and and I have to go to my family. That means they are far away. If they knew who God was, then this is actually something that you need to repent deeply of. 
God must be absolute. He must be the only standard. This is the secret to simplifying Christianity, is when God is absolute. But the reason why you're always conflicted, the reason why you're always um, torn apart, is because God is not absolute. Honestly, why is your non-believing family more important than God? Do you truly love them? Is, is meeting them truly love? No, it's when you make God absolute in your life, even those non-believing family will, become, will, will, will come to know God. But because you're constantly wishy-washy, going back and forth, that's why your family persecutes you. That's why your family has a reason to, to say something against you. And so do not forget that God must be absolute. And if God is absolute, then there would be no reason to have any difficulty. For example, do you think I'm ever conflicted whether I'm going to uh, hold back on my tithing or not? No, I will not. And so because I never have conflicted regarding this, I have no temptation towards I have no temptations towards material things. Everything that I must be given to God, I just give to God. And so the devil cannot tempt me with material things. But it's because you fail to make God absolute that, that the devil can tempt you, can tempt you with people, that the devil can tempt you with money, can tempt you with your circumstances. And so, if God is absolute in everything around you, then there is no source of temptation. It's like Daniel. Because Daniel, God is absolute. If you want to kill Daniel, you have to kill God. And so, is there anything that can kill God? There's nothing. And so, this must characterize us as well. God must be absolute in us. And then you will realize how easy Christianity is. It's when God is not absolute that makes Christianity difficult. Right? Why bet your life on man when if you make them hold their breath for five minutes, they would instantly die? Money, which will just burn away in an instant. Why do you put your life on that? So whether it's Old Testament Israel or Israel in the New Testament, that we must have nothing apart from Christ. That Christ is our everything. Amen. This must be absolute in our lives. And so if you keep trying to have fellowship with people, with money, with the world, without God, that is basically walking with a ticking time bomb in your strap to you. Right? I will not... I would not trade the world for my wife. Or I would not trade my wife for the world. But I do not love my wife outside of Christ. It's because of Christ that I love, I love her. And so it's in that relationship with Christ that I love my wife. It's the same thing with my relationship to my church members, to the saints. I do not love them outside of Christ. I love them through Christ. I love them through gospel. Without that gospel, I cannot love them. And so our relationship with the saints is a relationship of the gospel. It's a relationship of Christ. Without that relationship, then I'm sorry. I cannot love you. And it's not just I cannot love you. I cannot even have fellowship with you. 
I may, I may consider you, but apart from consideration, I cannot love you. I cannot have fellowship with you, because as saints, we need to have a relationship of Christ. We need to have a relationship of gospel, even with your children. Even with your children, it should be more than just flesh and blood. It should be a Christ relationship, a gospel relationship. That is the restoration. That is true restoration. And so whether in the past or in the present or in the future, Jesus Christ alone is the absolute standard. And so let's continue. Uh, in Isaiah, throughout Isaiah, we see that Jesus cannot be separated from the Spirit. And I talked about how important this principle is. So first, the fact that Jesus Christ came as man, and so he had to rely on the Holy Spirit. Right throughout the New Testament, we see this being testified clearly, that he came as man. Amen? And so that's why he relied on the Holy Spirit. He did, gave up who he was as God, as Son of God. And so because he lived this way, as fully as man, like Christ, we can also live uh, fully reliant upon the Holy Spirit. And so all the power, authority, signs, and wonders that uh, Jesus Christ did, it was done through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the second reason is that this is the principle of the kingdom of heaven, that it is not separated, it is all integrated, right? Fullness of Jesus Christ is fullness of the Word. Fullness of the Word is fullness of the Spirit. So you cannot just be one or the other that all the aspects of life that flows through the kingdom of heaven must be integrated. And so all things must be integrated. That is the church. And so these, these, the reason why this path that Zoe Ministry has gone down the past 20 years is difficult is found here because it's all integrated. That one saint is the church itself. And so, of course, it's going to take time. I, I don't want to say it's difficult, but it takes time. That one person being made whole is, takes time. Right? In First Timothy, what do we see as the right of, of a deacon? Uh, the, 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 that, that he must be blameless, right? That, he, that it takes time. It takes time. And remember that one of the signs of an apostle is long-suffering. Why long-suffering? Because they need the patience to wait for God to touch a person. I've been pastoring for 26 years now. And now that after I've waited for 26 years, finally, can I see hope in the hopeless? Now, of course, in that process... There were, there were a lot of giving and going, give and take. There was a lot of um, people who came in and who left. And that's because of calling. It's not because that person had failed or anything, but rather it was, it was because of calling. But there are some people who have calling but are not transformed. And this frustrates me. It frustrates me to no end. And yet, and yet for 26 years I've waited. And even... Even the dead tree will, 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 will blossom once again. And so if you think you are a dead tree, then, then repent deeply. 
because you are frustrating your head pastor to no end. Is there anyone here? Anyone here? Oh, pastor Chong Zong Oh, am I describing you? Oh, he keeps saying it's not him. He he den he's denying it. But anyways, I don't know who it is. But if you think yourself that you are uh, a dead tree, then then bring a gift for me later on. Okay. Anyways, and so and so we talked about the Holy Spirit. Start, start. And so when we think about it from a physical sense, like a like a spatial sense, the Trinity. Okay, so the Trinity moves in a dynamic way. But when we talk spatially, who is the one that dwells within me? It is the Holy Spirit. Yes. So spatially speaking, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. And so because He dwells inside of me, dynamically, Christ is in me, God is in me. Amen? And so, the most intimate relationship we have is with the Holy Spirit. And so where is victory? It's not about how much you have. It's not about what you can do. It's not about who you know. It's about who does not limit the Holy Spirit within me. That is what will determine victory. So whether it's in business, whether in your studies, whatever it is you do, what will determine your victory is how little you limit the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter about what you make, how much you have, or, or, but about how much the Holy Spirit is in you. And so when I was, this is how I lived my life ever since I met with God, even when I was in work, right? And so when I had fellowship with Him, He brought about amazing things. How much more as pastors, right? It's not a pastor who has PhDs or who can speak multiple languages. No, that, that is not the reason for victory. It's who does not limit the Holy Spirit. Who is the one who follows after the Holy Spirit? That is what will determine victory. This cannot be changed. This is the principle. Because there's no one greater than Him who dwells in me. He who dwells in me, there's no one out there greater than Him. And so that is who we should live with. Why, why rely on man? Why rely on your possessions? So do not forget this for even a moment. Many times, you know, because we're so busy in... In our, whenever I get so busy in my habit I just lay everything down and I bow down before God and when I bow down before God all those busy things start to disappear and I see exactly what that one thing that I should do this was habitualized inside of me that when I get when, when it gets busy when the going gets rough I lay everything down and I say Holy Spirit lead me and God moves in amazing ways at that time. This is my habit. And so if you are spiritually distracted, spiritually busy, spiritually um, split apart at multiple tasks, that is wrong, okay? In the spirit, you should be at peace. And so you should experience this. You should be able to be aware of this. Matrix. You know, like the movie in Matrix where everything becomes slow, vi slow motion and you could see the bullets. 
that's the kind of like ad, that's the kind of experience you should be having and so the reason why you you fall to attacks is because of the speed but let's say someone fired a gun at me and the bullet just slowly meandered towards me then all I have to do is brush it off if there's no speed there is no shock and so it's the same thing if you let the Holy Spirit lead you then in every circumstances in every spiritual attacks all of it comes to me in slow motion and so I, every circumstances I'm aware of what's going on this is the essence of leadership this is the blessing of meekness and so the meek one in all circumstances will see things approaching them in slow motion all the words that are coming and so though everyone is busy and in and and, and 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 working diligently i am at peace so i don't need to move i don't need to f i don't need to fret but i just see and so that is the most right um, image you should have. Moses standing before the Red Sea. Behind him, Pharaoh is chasing after him. In front of him is the raging sea. All around him is Israel warring, filled with anxiety. And yet Moses is at peace because he knows God is with him. That is the secret to leadership. And so I call this, um, I call this level-headedness. Level-headedness, right? And this is the uh, character of, of Yahweh. Yahweh means God, he who moves. Baal is stationary. He is sedentary. But Yahweh is moving. He is active. And so life, when it moves, it is not chaotic. Have you ever seen an apple? Have you ever seen an apple uh, blossom? It's chaotic, isn't it? Right? There's farting. There's throwing up. No. No. Life, as you see, it just grows. Same thing with grapes on the vine. Life is at peace. It seems like it's not moving, and yet it's moving. That is the essence of leadership. And so it's not about constantly fretting, building, making something happen. No, that means leadership is broken down. It's, at in, it's movement in peace. Movement in peace. Just pray. And the Holy Spirit moves. This is the image of, those, of him who lives in the Holy Spirit. So, and so living in the Holy Spirit, of course, is breaking through, but also knowing when to stop. One of the fruit of the Spirit, what is the last fruit that, that wraps it all up together, that ties it all together in Galatians 5.24? It is self-control. All the fruits that begins with love is all wrapped in what? And wrapped in self-control. Why? Because self-control is the element that allows that fruit to blossom. And so only moving when Jesus Christ moves. Only moving when God moves. Moving their direction based on where God wants them to go. That is self-control. That is self-control, the ability to have that, to, to move according to the Holy Spirit. 
And so what happens if you have joy without self-control? That just becomes pleasure. It just becomes self-pleasure. Right? Love has self-control. Joy has self-control. And so the fruit of self-control is what makes all the other fruits be like fruit. And so meekness gives you self-control. If a leader has no self-control, and so look, the leader needs to be able to distribute um, their energy properly throughout the day. And it's not me who determines that, but the Holy Spirit does it. The Holy Spirit does it as I follow Him. And so don't treat the Holy Spirit as some energy, as some kind of force. No, the Holy Spirit is a being. He is a personal being. And so do not forget that for even a moment. He can be displeased. He could be pleased. He could be angry. He could be upset. The Holy Spirit is a being. Amen. So John Wimber, the reason why his ministry failed is because he did not recognize the Holy Spirit as a being. The Holy Spirit is a being. Amen. And because he's a being, when he's angry, should we move or not? We should not move. We should stay still. We should wait. And when he rejoices, I should rejoice. When he's sad, I should know why he's sad. The Holy Spirit is a being. And so moving on. And so that's what I've been talking about yesterday. So moving on to verse 3. And in verse 3, what do we see? It says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And then so in verse 2, we see that the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord gives you joy, right? We talked about this as, as being the, the, the source, right? That, the essence of things. That, that uh, fear of the Lord carries intimacy with the Lord. Um, uh, with people, if you fear a person, you will not be intimate with that person. But with God, when you fear the Lord, there is intimacy. And so that's why I say reverence is a really important emotion to have towards God uh, because it is the key to receiving all His blessings. And so when you meet with God, you will know the fear of the Lord. Anyone who properly meets with God will have the fear of the Lord. Understand that He is fearful. And so... And so God has this dignity that He pours upon us. And so that means that I am the same essence with Jesus Christ. Right? Listen carefully. We are the same essence of Jesus Christ. I am the same essence with Jesus Christ. Everything is the same with Jesus Christ. That is the great privilege He has given us. But, and yet, and yet we do not treat Him in vain. But when we receive that we are the same, the one who properly receives that, what will he be filled with? He will be filled with humility. He will be filled with true humility and true reverence. Why? Because he is self-sustaining and I am reliant upon him. And I cannot deny this fact. And for all eternity, we will live a life becoming more and more like Christ. And why? Do you think all it takes is a thousand years, ten thousand years, a million years? No. Why? Because He is always independent and we are dependent. And so for all time, our joy is to be more and more like Him, is to be made in His image. 
And so, with the dignity that he pours out to me, we cannot grow in arrogance. If a person is arrogant, then he did not meet with him properly. If you met with meet with him properly, then you would properly believe in your dignity, and yet at the same time, you would be humble. Humble because you understand that you are not independent. So if you are arrogant, you, have, you did not meet with God properly. Those of you who have met with Him properly, you cannot be arrogant. You cannot be vain. Many people may think like, what happens if you put yourself equal to Jesus Christ and you become arrogant? Don't worry about things like that. If you meet with Jesus Christ properly, you cannot be arrogant in that way. You will actually reach the pinnacle of humility, the pinnacle of reverence. Amen? And so, when you look at a man, and how can you tell if that person is truly having fellowship with God? Okay, it's not, it's not self-defecating or... Or some kind of like, or 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 some kind of false modesty, and yet, and yet they will not seem arrogant either. They are confident but humble. There is great charisma and yet humble. And and, and it doesn't feel as if they've done anything. That's the way it should be. That's, that is the image of one who has met with Christ. And so humility isn't, isn't self-defecation. And so you will see. You will see. And when you see, you will know uh, whether that person has truly met with God or not. And so look at the person next to you. Okay, verse 3. And so the rejoice. They shall delight and his delight. And so uh, fear and intimacy go hand in hand. Amen? And so you don't need to understand this with your head. Just understand that, that when you meet with him, fear will come upon you and reverence will come upon you. Intimacy will come upon you. You don't need to make it inside of yourself. Okay, and so next, moving on. Uh, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. How amazing is that? Because our Messiah is God, yes? He is the King of all kings. And so he, it, for him, it is right for him to judge based on what he sees. It is all possible because, because his decision, his determination is all righteous. Right? It is impossible to man to be uh, this level of fairness. But everything he sees, everything he speaks... Right? It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He, has, he is the king. And the most important position of the king is that of judge. And his judgment has no, has no uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His judgment has no bias. Who is a good lawyer? Who is a good lawyer? 
A good lawyer is one who's very persuasive, who's able to persuade the circumstances, uh, who is able to persuade the judge to take his side. But Jesus Christ, who, who can persuade him? And even if, and so it doesn't matter what, what, how they appear, he sees righteousness and only righteousness. And so that's why we live by God. So when we live by God, listen carefully, when we live by God, you will not have, you will not feel unfair. You will not feel that things are unfair. Many people, as you live with God, you say that it's so unfair. God, why don't you listen to my prayers? Why don't you answer my prayers? Why did you do this? So many people feel aggrieved to God. That means you have not met with God properly because God has no bias. And so God's determination, you will be able to delight in His law. You will be able to delight in His judgment. Yes, Lord, this is what you have done. Yes, Lord, you have done it. That's, that is true meeting with God. You cannot help but acknowledge the goodness of His judgment because you know who He is. You know that He has no bias. You know that what He sees, what He hears is not influenced by improper things. You know that He sees clearly that He is Zedek, the righteousness of God. And so if you live with God, is, do you ever feel like it's unfair? No, it's all just and fair. And so when you look, you may say, oh, that person looks so happy because he's rich and you're so envious. No, that is, that is um, fallacy. That is poop. It doesn't matter how much they have. They may, you may think that they're happy because they have much, but no, they are not happy. God is just. God is just and fair. So do not feel that you, you are grieved before God. And you will come to realize that your lack of things is actually the source of your happiness. And so, verse 4, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. So it's explanation, verse 3, And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And so many times when you look at poor people, you take pity on them. But that's not what this is about. It's seeing exactly what that person is. That's righteousness, zedek. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And so this equity, this equity speaks of honesty, right? It, being able to exactly see their righteousness and their wickedness. So in Romans 12, no, not 12, Romans 13, that when we come before God, all our sins will be made bare. Because when we, when we stand before God, we, we will confess all our sins. Why? Because God is honest. And, and this honesty of God touches us and colors us so that we cannot help but confess all things. Turning all of our lies to honesty that I had this wickedness, I committed this sin, I was tortured by this. But this is the characteristic of one who has met with God. But those who do not meet with God, they're constantly hiding, hiding their weaknesses, their shame. And so who is the one who has met with God? Is the one who has meets with His honesty, who meets with His purity. 
And when you meet with that honesty, you will open everything up. That, Lord, I have this sin, I have this hurt and wounds, I have this wickedness. And it's not false modesty. You're just laying yourself bare as you are, with no shame. And as you open it up, immediately all those things are solved. They are all dealt with. Why do you fail to repent? Because you remain closed. You will fail to meet with God. Especially, you fail to see face to face with His honesty. Because rather than receiving the strength of His honesty, you're receiving more of the strength of your hurts and wounds that, 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 that bind you. And so these wounds help to hide you. And they will not let their wickedness be evident. And so the devil is like a spy. When a spy remains hidden, he is strong. But when he is revealed, he has no power. And so we need to continually reveal the darkness inside of us. And if we want to reveal the darkness inside of us, what do we have to do? We have to meet with him who is honest. We have to meet with him who is right. And so because my bindings are so strong, I have this tendency to cover myself and, and that strength keeps me from opening up. And so some people have, very, are, have many talents, but because they're constantly hiding themselves, their talents cannot be revealed. That is a pity. God is groaning over, over this. This is God's goodness because He does not want to leave this brokenness alone. But if you let this brokenness fester, it starts to build up strength. And so look, my brothers, the only way you can deal with this is meet with God. Continually meet with God. Yearn and meet with Him. And as you meet with Him, the strength of His life, the light, the glory, the, the, the fire, as it co covers over me, it, it starts to strip away at the strength of, of the bindings. Now, this doesn't mean that it's one-to-one -one ratio. 20 years I've been building up the flesh, and so 20 years it takes. No, we don't know exactly how much time. But we need to keep meeting with God. Keep meeting with God and let the blood cover over us and wash over us. And that will make the game to be won. And this is what happened when you were saved. The moment you were saved, the glory came upon you. And that powerful light uh, cut away at all, that, at, at all those hurts and wounds. And so the moment I met with God, actually, it all happened immediately. It was as if, like, film was passing through my eyes. My, my life flashed before me, and I was able to see all my sins and could not help but confess them, could not help but acknowledge them. There was no shame. It's just, it's just yes, Lord, yes, Lord, this is me. This is my sin. And I said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Didn't even have time to confess. And so your salvation, it would have been great if you met with Damascus, with him on the road to Damascus then. But even now, it's not late. Even now, God has the power. You need to keep receiving the power of God that can uh, wipe away, cut away at these, at these, at these fleshly things. 
And so as you continue to receive that glory, it will cut away at these layers. And as it's completely wiped away, you'll meet with him in his righteousness and all things will be revealed. And it'll be easy. Just, yes, Jesus, blood of Jesus. And your bitter roots, especially your bitter roots will be revealed and will be, will be dealt with. Bitter roots. Let's say you are constantly falling into despair. That means you have a bitter root of despair. Or you're constantly, um, habitually doing some kind of wickedness, there is a bitter root. And so when you meet with this righteous God, then these bitter roots will be removed. Bitter roots is the source of the strength of the old self. And so as it comes up, dragging you towards the desires of possession, of security, of pleasure, uh, of of success and of idolatry. And it's then when it's all revealed that you'll be able to see uh, how wicked these, these desires are. Right now, because you've been hearing from me so much, you know that it's wickedness. But do you truly know how utterly sinful it is? It only happens when you meet with that. Who are weak to to the desire for fame and success. It is pastors, right? That's why pastors uh, fall to religion so easily. And so you, anyways, and so you start to see that these five desires are the sources of flesh. And when you are able to see that, that is the beginning of entering into glorification. And so, so this, so this righteousness of God is really important. Amen. And so, when I minister to our church members, there are some people who say, like, for some strange reason, it's weird. I, I'm, I'm so, I just say everything before you. Okay, Yungi and Sunjin, they, they lied to me. They bought, they bought a, a speaker system, and they were implanting it, and, and they lied to me. They lied to me and they tried to deceive me. And they should have said to me, but they didn't say to me. But the person who sold it came to me. And I didn't even say anything. But he said to me that no one buys these products these days. Why would he say that to me when he's the one who sold it to me? Right? Why would he say that? And so for some strange reason, people start to be honest before me. That, oh, I shouldn't have said this, and yet I should say it to you. Why? Because of this uh, spirit of righteousness of God inside of me as it flows forth. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing when they open up to me because that, that's a sign that, ah, they are entering into my, the, truth, the, 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 church, the, the being of the church with, with me. And so it's not me who determines this, but rather the Spirit of God inside of me as it flows out, they, 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 they confess. And I see it. I see it spiritually, but I don't say anything. And as time goes by, uh, it surfaces and they speak of it. 
because this is the uh, honest nature of God in the church. This right heart, this right nature of God. So when I speak of righteousness, in, in English, uh, it's the right spirit, right? The right spirit. But um, he's using it in the context of honesty, right? Of being um, honest and pure and sincere. And so there are many people who try to hide themselves, right? They hide and yet, many people in our church are very transparent. They, they open up to everything. right? They speak of anything. And so, they're able to pray for one another. And they are able to become one family. But if you're constantly hiding and, 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 and cowering in yourself, then you cannot be, you cannot be, you are not in the church, right? And so, you know who you are. There's no need for me to say who you are, right? I must respect their wishes for privacy. But when you have that kind of heart, it's not easy to enter into the church. Okay, Who is the family? It's the one who says, speaks openly with their father. Right? Some people have talked about you know, their, their experience with rape. They've opened up their, their experience. Or someone talking about how they are an illegitimate child. And, and they open up to... They open up uh, before the entire community. And so when I pray for that person, uh, that prayer flows like flows freely. But the one who hides, my prayer is not flowing freely. And so the one who does not open themselves up, they cannot remain in the church. There was one family who's been in the church for 18 years. But they could not open up. They could not open up, and so they left. I have never. I, I did not kick them out. They left. They left. Okay. Have I ever kicked someone out of our church, Kangashin? Have I ever kicked someone out of our church? I've never kicked anyone out of the church. Okay. God is the one who kicked them out. Someone please give me some water. <laughs> I'm thirst I'm my throat is parched because I lied. Okay, <laughs> and so I want to talk about righteousness, right? That how to apply righteousness in the church. And so especially head pastors, we the, the, this righteousness of God needs to flow through us so that we are transparent. Because look, as the head pastor, we are the fathers, right? The spiritual father of the church. I mean, being more accurately speaking, God is the father, but I am the representative of that father. And if they are hidden, then, then we cannot pray, right? We cannot. And so they just constantly pretend to hold their head high, but nothing is happening. So I may not know exactly what that person did, but I can clearly see that that person is hiding something, that that person is hiding something. And so, uh, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, right? That the word of God is a sword. As we see in Hebrews 4.11, that the word of God is a double-edged sword, right? 
sharp to cut through bone and marrow. And so the power and authority of the word of God is moving inside of me. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. This breath is the spirit. This breath is spirit. Right? Ruah. So drinking this water feels like it's washing away all of the lies. No, I say once again, I did not kick anyone out of the church. Okay, God is doing it. Why? Who am I? Who am I to kick people out of the church? Pastors, you're my witnesses, right? Pastor, have you ever kicked someone out? Have you ever kicked someone out of your church? Pastors, right? Our hearts are not so cold that we would kick people out of the church, right? Right, pastors, we are, our hearts are so malleable and soft. Right, we are so shy. I cannot use even a thousand dollars. I shiver and tremble whenever I use a thousand dollars. It's God who does it. I'm not the one who does it. I am shy. I am timid. Right? Do you know how timid I am? I'm timid. That I drive a morning, and 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 that morning, I don't want. I don't want a new car to replace it. And even though I say this, no one buys me a car. No, I'm just kidding. Someone actually, our church, our church, uh, brought money, brought money to buy a ch- car. And I offered it because I don't need it right now. And so, so anyways, I don't need, I don't need a car. Remember, what do I need? I need a plane. I don't need a, I don't need a car. I need a plane. My throat continually gets dry. So, anyways, moving on. And so, the breath, with the breath of his lips, right? When we speak, the spirit moves. So that's why I say there's power in your words. Because when you speak, the word of God, the, the Spirit of God moves and there's power in the Word of God. And so verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And righteousness is Zedek, Mishpat. And shall be the belt of his waist. That he is that means he is girded, right? He is ready to to send forth that righteousness, meaning that he's ready for battle. He's ready for judgment. He is ready. So Zedek and then uh, and faithfulness, the belt of his loins, and faithfulness, this truthfulness, this truth, truth girds his loins. So when we live by the Holy Spirit, this is the power and authority we have, the authority of the Messiah being proclaimed in us. Amen? And so shall we live by the Holy Spirit or not? Do you want to live by the Holy Spirit or not? And so we call this the what? The Spirit of Jesus Christ. The price, all the price being paid and being proclaimed as Christ and that authority through the Holy Spirit radiates. 
So through the Holy Spirit, right, we talked about the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of Christ, and also now the Spirit of Jesus, and also the Spirit of God. These are not just random words put together, but rather how the Holy Spirit works inside of me and with whom the Holy Spirit is moving intimately with. Sometimes with God, sometimes with Jesus, sometimes with Christ, sometimes with Jesus Christ, right? These various characteristics of God being, going hand in hand with the Spirit. And so if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, all the power and authority of the Trinity God will be manifest in you. Amen. And so the answer to all questions is be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I do not need to live my life, but He lives in me. And if He lives in me, there will be no problem. It's because we live by flesh. It's because we live by our own methods. That's why we suffer so. If we live by the Holy Spirit, life is so easy. Amen. And so moving on. And so now let's talk about the restoration of the Sabbath. So the Messiah came with the Holy Spirit. And now this Messiah who came, this Messiah in his ascension, or his, not ascension, his um, incarnation, he brings about restoration. And what is that restoration? From verse 6, we see uh, the um, prophecy of the Millennial Kingdom. And so I continually say, that the incarnation and his return cannot be separated. That the one who has met with Christ who has been incarnated will, will yearn for his return. And so if you do not have that yearning, then you met with him improperly. If you have met with him, then you will yearn for his return. Through his first coming, how much... Of course, if, if you have met with him, then would you not want to also meet with his return when he returns? Would you not yearn for his kingdom? And so why does the church not speak of the end times? It's because they do not know the head, Jesus Christ. If they knew the head, Jesus Christ, then of course they would speak of his return. Of course they would hope and yearn for his return. And so if you have been properly saved then you will yearn for His glorious return. And so the prophets see the incarnation and His return as one line. They see it as one uh, essence. And so right now we're speaking of the first glory of His incarnation. And so now verse 6, we'll see the relationship between man and beast being restored. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And so, like Romans 8, all the creation's groaning has been satisfied. Why? Because the sons of God have been revealed. And so even now, these sons of God being revealed will comfort the groaning and the hurts of creation. And so the, the sons of God who have entered into glory are co bringing comfort to creation. Yet it is not uh, perfect. But when Jesus Christ comes, the sons of God who are wearing the resurrection life will enter into the Sabbath rest and they will ease the pain of all creation. They will satisfy and fulfill the groaning of creation and everything will go back to the glory 
that God originally created where none hurt one another. And so it will restore all the all of creation. Amen. And so will there be mosquitoes in heaven or not? There will be. But they will not they will not suck your blood. And even if they do suck your blood, there is no poison. Lions will will eat grass. And so all things will be restored. Sabbath rest. And so in the millennial kingdom, will there be people like us and the flesh like us? There will be. But for us who will be priestly kings, we will be dressed in the resurrection body. And because I don't know how to explain this resurrection body, but but it is not it will not have the same weaknesses of our of our flesh right now for example let's say you raced a cheetah let's say you did a hundred meter dash against the cheetah a cheetah can run a hundred meters in about 3.6 seconds I'm going to try this when I go to heaven cheetah come here come here come here on your mark get set go who do you think is going to win we'll see on that day right I don't know who right now I cannot say who will win but but I'm going to try to wrestle with a, with a bear because I have the resurrection body. So bear, come on. Who do you think is going to win? I will win. I will win. Because all creation is restored, man will be able to live in this way. Do you think there will be apple trees or not? There will be. But when you look at Ezekiel 47, that it will not bear fruit in season, but it will bear fruit every month. What this means is, is that the trees will provide nutrients based on the needs of man. So everything can move according to the wisdom of God. And so for example, let's say I draw, I draw near to an apple tree and I, I stretch out my hand then an apple will, will be formed. And I eat that apple. This is possible because of the restoration of all creation. And so, I, sometimes when I look at you, I think that you have no interest in the millennial kingdom. I have a lot of interest. Why? Because I will be a priestly king. And so even now, I make so many mistakes and I'm in weaknesses and I have limitations to love. But when I go to Millennial Kingdom, I want to be a proper pastor. I want to be a proper pastor. And as I, and as I pastor uh, priestly kings, I think that my, my, my home will be like will be like um, from Jeju to Manchuria. And so do you not have interest in the Millennial Kingdom? You need to yearn and thirst for that kingdom. Amen? So verse 8, uh, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And so there will be snakes, there will be vipers, but the difference is that because the sons of God have the sons of glory have been revealed all the poison of sin that has polluted that has contaminated creation will no longer be there 
in Millennial Kingdom, will there be death? There is. But if someone dies after 100 years, it's as if they are like a child. Meaning that death is not common, but there will be death. And because the, the, the abyss still exists, there's still death. When will death be dealt with? It's when the millennial kingdom ends that death is dealt with. It's just not common. But how about for those of us who have the resurrection body? Will we die? No, we will not die because we have the resurrection body. But those who do not have the resurrection body, they will die in the millennial kingdom. Will there be rebellion in the millennial kingdom or not? For the most part, no, but there will still be some. Right, we'll see in Isaiah. And so this is what you should consider. The millennial kingdom isn't just some paradise that all of a sudden appears, but rather, millennial kingdom is an extension of this world. It's an extension. And so, let's say that you are not holy on this earth and all of a sudden in millennial kingdom you'll be holy. No, that's not the case. Your body will just be transformed. And your body does not represent your holiness, but rather, it just represents that you are in a new world. But holiness will determine your the glory of that body. And so, don't think of Millennial Kingdom as something alien, but rather, it's an extension of this earth. And so let's say that this world exists in a time frame of 7,000 years. In 6,000 years, the first 6,000 years is the time of Adam and its sin. And the last 1,000 years is the extension of that world in, 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 in restoration. And so because it's an extension of this time on earth, that's why this time right now is not for nothing. This time will determine how you live in that millennial kingdom. And so though we are here for just a few short years, during that time we need to invest our all to, uh, to enter into God's glory. Amen? So many people think of millennial kingdom as some kind of like imaginary alien place. But no, even in... Even in the millennial kingdom, this neighborhood will still be this neighborhood. It's just simply the buildings will be different, but it'll still be here. Will the atmosphere be there? The atmosphere will not be there. Why? Because, because in that millennial kingdom, after the millennial kingdom, after after the Armageddon, all the things made by men will be broken, and when when it sucked up into the vacuum of space the atmosphere is gone and and it'll be uh, just it'll be like um, uh, what's it called so instead of like atmospheric pressure and weather but rather it'll be like a greenhouse where 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 the ozone originally was restored, and so there is a uniform climate. 
So verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And so as the sin is erased, everyone enters into Sabbath, all creation has joy because, because the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. As Micah chapter 4 2 prophesies that all beings will be able to meet with God. And so the priestly kings who are over various regions, they will make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And as they make pilgrimages to Jerusalem, they'll bring gifts. When? During the uh, festival of the booths. Why do we continue to have the festival of the booths during during the Millennial Kingdom? Because it is during the festival of the booths that Jesus Christ will return to this earth. And so in the festival of the booths, they will come, as it says in Ezekiel 46, or 41, 41 to 46, they come to on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so they will all gather at Tel Aviv and they make their procession to Jerusalem. All of Palestine will be a plain, except for Mount Zion will rise high. And so from Tel Aviv, they'll be filled with the sense of awe and reverence as they make their procession towards Jerusalem. And on that day of the booths, they will enter through the East King and meet with Jesus face to face. But the man who doesn't have this um, uh, resurrection body, where will they be? They'll be outside the gates just trying to catch a glimpse. So let us be priestly kings. Amen. And that is when he'll be seated from Jerusalem and will teach words to God, man, to, God to mankind. That is the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord shall cover over the earth like the waters cover the sea. And so right now, as you're listening to the sermon, some of you are being blessed, some of you are not. But during this time, uh, through one proclamation, man will be revolutionized. And so they will beat their swords into plowshares. They will repent. And, and that's what will happen in the Millennial Kingdom. And so that's the prophecy of Micah. And people, uh, uh, Jesus will directly teach God's laws to man. Then the priestly kings, would they only see the face of the Lord on the day of the booth? No. No, at any time, bringing, bearing gifts, they can meet with the Lord. And so shall we? So do you want to be the priestly king or not? We must be the priestly king so that we can see him face to face whenever we want. And the more we see him face to face, the more perfect we will be. So above all else, let us work for purity. Let us strive for holiness. Amen? So let's truly strive for perfect holiness to meet with Him face to face. Amen. That day is soon upon us. So moving on. So from verse 10. 
So, from verse, so if uh, up to this point was a prophecy of, of Jesus' first incarnation, now from verse 10 to 16, let's see what this time is. Okay, prophets, sometimes uh, their time goes back and forth. Sometimes it's in the present, other times it's in the during the ascensions, other times it's during his second return. And so he goes back and forth and... And so he's going back and forth based on the time. And, and, and then us also, uh, there's different emphasis, on, even though it may apply to all the times. But what is clear is that as he prophesies, he's going back and forth. And even though he's going all back and forth, it's all drawing one picture. And so it's like a movie where we went to the incarnation and then to the millennial kingdom. And so now in the present, how are we to prepare? That's what we'll see. That's what we'll see in verses 10 to verse 16. That God is going to give us this wonderful millennial kingdom. And so how should we prepare? And so that's, what this that's the time frame of this chapter 11. And so all we have to do is finish chapter 11 And chapter 12 is just the praise It's just a song of praise and So I don't need to explain much in chapter 12, right? Oh, why is water so delicious today? It's maybe because I made so many lies But anyways, verse 10 In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire. And so we're going again to the incarnation. And so the root of Jesse. And so the first thing is that it shall be a signal for the peoples. And so a flag is being raised high. So let's say, so they're raising the flag that the Messiah has come. And so, and then... So, for, so that the nation shall return. And so where, where is this time frame then? Okay, the Messiah came and a signal for the peoples came up and the nations shall inquire. Not just Israel, but all the nations shall return. And his resting place shall be glorious. So when is this? This is... Is it difficult? It's easy, right? This is the era of the church. Right? Jesus came and the flag was raised high. And, and so during these past 2,000 years, who has been returning? It's the nations, right? Not Israel, but the nations. Yes. Do you agree with what I'm saying? And that resting place is glorious. And where is his resting place? Is it, Jeru is it, is it Jerusalem? Jerusalem has yet to be glorified. This is a prophecy of the church. Malachi chapter 3, right? That, that the glory of God has filled uh, the halls of the church. And that is the glory. 
because God has come to the church directly and reigns over us. And so it's clear that this is a prophecy of the church. Amen? Is this Jerusalem? If this is Jerusalem, then then this would be the eschaton, the end times, not, not the church. But this is prophesying over the church era. And so Jesus Christ came and rose, raised high the banner of the Lord. And who returned to that banner? Who turned to that banner? It was the Gentiles. It was the nations, right? The nations. And the church where these nations are is glorious. Is there any problem with this interpretation? No. Yes. So moving on, verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. So we don't know when that day is just yet, right? But his hand a second time to recover the remnant. And so a second time, meaning that he has already extended his hand once to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So who are the remnant of these remains? You could say it's Israel, but it could also be the, 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 the Gentiles. Yes? It can apply to both. But let us see who it is. So they return, but where do they return from? From Egypt, from Assyria. You know where Assyria is? From Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea, meaning from all over the world. And so... And so are these the Gentiles returning? Is it the same prophecy? No, Isaiah is not foolish. He is not saying the same thing twice. So who is verse 11 about? It's about Israel. Yes? And so Israel is going to return and they're going to return from all the nations. So this is after Ezekiel 47, right? Ezekiel 47 is the prophecy about, about the dry bones turning into flesh and the remnant returning. That the remnant of Israel returning to Israel, right? And so on that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. There was already once a time where the Jews returned to Israel, right? When? During Egypt, when they had the exodus. Also when they had the exodus from Babylon. And so as God does this, Israel has returned from captivity. But and yet he says for a second time, means that... Oh, and so this state is completely different from when they were taken into captivity to Babylon because Israel is all over the world. And so Obad, Obadiah and other prophets say the same thing, that Israel returned from all over the world. This is Ezekiel, it's the same prophecy as Ezekiel 37. And so these prophecies have already been fulfilled in this day. These are not prophecies to be fulfilled. They have already been fulfilled. And so look, we see that the schedule is moving very quickly. And so don't just live your life randomly. Almost finished. Verse 12. 
or verse 11. Is there a problem with my interpretation? No. So I don't know, maybe you might have other thoughts, but don't think other way. Okay, regarding these kinds of things, I do not lie. So verse 12. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel. And so again, he raises a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And so raise a signal for the nations. And so once again raises a signal for the nations. And so this is a prophecy of Israel being restored in 1947 and the situation that's going on right now because Israel is returning to, to the land of Israel right now. But what about verse 12? What is verse 12? Uh, he will raise a signal for the nations. Gather the, the, assemble the banished of Israel. What Israel is he speaking of? Spiritual Israel? Physical Israel? Or both? I don't know just yet. But he will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And so assemble, dispersed. What does this mean? Remnant. I don't know who they are exactly, but it is the remnant, the remnant, the, the banished of Israel and the dispersed of Judah. Why is Isaiah prophesying Israel and Judah separately? The exiled of Israel and the dispersed of Judah? Right? The four corners of the, uh, Judah who's been dispersed to the four corners of the earth? So again, these are all exiled, right? Chased away, the fringes. So what, what time frame is this talking about? Let, let's, let's, let's consider that. And moving on to verse 13. So keep that in mind. So verse 11 was Israel being reformed in 1947. And even now this prophecy is being fulfilled because they are returning to the land of Israel. They are aliying, right? It's the same prophecy of Ezekiel 47 or 37. But now verse 12. What is clear is that it's not the same prophecy as verse 11, right? That is clear, right? It's not just the remainder returning, but the remnant returning. And so it's the remnant of Israel and the remnant of Judah. And Isaiah is not just separating them to separate for separation's sake. But he says Israel and Judah. And so when is this prophecy of? So we'll see. We'll see. Moving on first to verse 13. Keep that in mind. But verse 13. And so what I'm trying to do is paint this picture of the time that's left to us. I'm trying to paint this scenario for you. To show you the time frame of what God has so the Holy Spirit has spread out this time frame through the various prophets through Isaiah, through Obadiah, through Zechariah, through Daniel, through Joel but now someone like me, what I have to do is I have to gather this dispersed time frame 
and tie it to horror, how it's going to move sequentially in physical time. And so we cannot just leave it dispersed. We need to see how these prophecies are moving sequentially in time so that we know how to pray, how to respect God's decision and, how, and what we are to expect. That is what the time that is upon us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Do you understand what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to do? Comprende? So that's my, what I'm trying to attempt. Uh, that is what I'm attempting to do. Is drawing this scenario of God. Right? The first half of the tribulation, the second half of the tribulation. What God is trying to do in the tribulation. How the tribulation is going to unfold. Oh, uh, that this, this, this trumpet clearly signifies a world war. And where, where is that going to happen? What's going to happen? When is the religions going to be unified? When is the one world order going to happen? What's going on in China? What's going on in Taiwan? Are we, is it just another event in world history? Or is it a fulfillment of prophecy? How far is this war in Russia and with Ukraine going to go? What's happening in Europe? Uh, what's going on in China? At what time is, is, is Korea going to be reunified? And so I am, I am sequentially ordering these things. And so we must know these things because we will not face the return of the king as if a thief coming in the middle of the night. We walking with him, speaking with him, putting to death the things of the devil that needs to be put to death, knowing what to do what, and where we are to work with God. So we should not just send this, spend this time in an abstract manner. Amen? And so should I take the sabbatical or not? I should, yes? So moving on. So verse 12, just keep that in mind. It's clearly a different prophecy from verse 11. It's clear, amen? Amen? And now, and so, so keep verse 12 in mind, but moving forward. So, uh, that the uh, banished of Israel will be assembled and the dispersed of Judah will be gathered. So let's see, verse 13. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. So what is this? The 12 tribes of Israel have been dispersed during the time of Jeroboam II, right? They split up, right? Solomon's... Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, right, uh, split the kingdom. But their enmity towards one another will, disp will disappear. When is this prophecy fulfilled? We see it in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37:19. Say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick that they may be one in my hand. Uh, 
When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them. And so when is this prophecy fulfilled? This is millennial kingdom, yes. Who is this one king? It is Christ. And so the first half of Ezekiel 37 is prophesying the restoration of the nation of Israel. And after that restoration, in that process, when will Israel truly be reunited? It's in the millennial kingdom. Amen. This is prophecy of the unity in the millennial kingdom. And so go back to Isaiah. And so I'm giving this complicated explanation so that you can see the time schedule. But and so anyways, and so this relationship of verse 13 where Ephraim and Judah are one, when will this be prophesied? When will this be fulfilled? Uh, first half, uh, the first initial initial fulfillment was in was in the uh, 1947. But when is it perfected? Millennial Kingdom. And so verse 13 is about eschatology, that this is going to happen in the end times. And so verse 12, which is in between verse 11 and verse 13, where verse 11 happened in history and verse 13 is to happen in history, then 12 is something that's going to happen in between that, yes? It's not just some random time being put smack dab in the middle of two different prophecies, understand? And so verse 12, what is the prophecy of verse 12? It's Israel. The remnant of, of the Gentiles or the remnant of the Messianic Jews. And so the time that is we are in right now, 1947, the nation of Israel was established. And when, remnant, and when the end times come, uh, Israel will be restored as one kingdom under one king and in between that what is God going to do? The remnant of Israel and the remnant of Judah shall be gathered and when is that? In the big picture this is the time that is upon us right now what God is trying to get is focused on is to gather the remnant and so ultimately that's what the church needs to be focused on is to gather the remnant it's not about it's not about um, enlarging the numbers of the church but rather gathering gathering the remnant it's not about trying to enlarge your church that's not the focus of God right now in this day and age in this time between verse 11 and 13 is this verse 12. What God is most concerned about is whether it's Israel or Jews or Gentiles, God is gathering his remnant. Amen. And I'm not the only one who's gathering the remnant all over the world. There's other people out there. But all over the world, what do we see? We do not see many people put a lot of emphasis on this. I've met with various famous preachers, but I could not hold hands with them. I could not work with them because none of them are focused on the remnant. 
They keep trying to just enlarge their ministry. And so that's why I, I'm not focused on that. The only thing I can do is build, gather the remnant. Gather the remnant. If anyone else in the world is gathering the remnant, then at any time I'm ready to work with them. So do you understand now why we are putting our lives to gathering the remnant? Because ultimately right now is this time of this prophecy is that God is gathering His remnant. And so you are not here just simply to be blessed. You are here to build up the remnant, to gather the remnant. Amen? And so from verse 14, uh, it changes time frame. And the process of verse 13, there's also a lot of complicated things that we have to deal with. Okay, in 1947, uh, Israel was reunited as a nation, but there will be another division, and that happens right before the Third World War country, that this united stick will be divided once again. And so there'll be multiple prime ministers. And so in this time that is left upon us, we will see Israel be separated once again. And we can see that happening right now, right? Where Netanyahu and his opposition are, are, are polarizing more and more. There's already prophecies of this in Zechariah 10. And so though Israel was united, they will be separated once again. And so there is this danger for Israel before the Third World War. And as we see that, we can see the time is approaching. And in one month, uh, the king will change three times. And so that means that there will be something serious happening in Israel where the prime minister will change three times in one month. And so right now I'm seeing this time frame throughout the day, throughout the days, right? The, 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 the judgment of the bulls, the judgment of the trumpet, how it's moving, how this time is moving sequentially. And in this situation, who is the great prostitute? Who is the Antichrist? And the fates of the various nations of the world, Ch China, Europe, um, America, Russia, uh, the Sunnis and the Shias, uh, India, the fates of these nations and what and their roles in these end times. And so it's all prophetically written in the Bible. And, and then also seeing about things that are not recorded in the Bible. And so there is the danger to cause confusion if I proclaim incorrectly. If I proclaim wrong things, there will cause confusion. That's why I need to take this time. I need to take this time to, to let God, to let God uh, give me clearly.
So I'm praying that God will clearly reveal. Because I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of scenarios in my head, but I can, it's not like I could just be like God. Uh, I choose number one, or God is it number two? No, God has to clearly reveal to me. Okay, right now King Charles has cancer, and actually. I received the prophecy somewhere from, I received the prophecy from God that Charles could not be king for long. And so Charles has cancer. He's not going to be king long. And, and if Charles dies, who will be king next? You know, uh, the greatest power Charles has is actually he's head of various um, um movements to control climate, right, about climate change. And so now he's, uh, his son, William, will be king, right? Will be king after him. And he's going into uh, treatment, right? And so, but anyways, so I do not think king, he will be king long. But anyways, and so moving on. But they will shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistine in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. There's a little bit of a complicated phrase here. Israel throughout history, never once. The shoulder of the Philistines swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines. That means they will reign over the Philistines. What about the east? The east is Iran. And this happens at the same time, right? That they shall plunder the people of the east and they shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab. And so Edom and Moab is the Jordan region, right? The Jordan region. And the Ammonites shall obey them. This is all areas of the Jordan. Throughout the history of Israel, never once has Israel controlled this much territory. Has they ever? No, never. So this is an event that has yet to happen. Then when will this happen? Ezekiel 9, 10, and 11. It's mostly speaking of the same times. Zechariah. Let's look at Zechariah. So I'm not saying this just to uh, whet your curiosity, but rather I'm saying this to you to, so that you can see the times. One clear evidence of fullness of the Holy Spirit is that you yearn for His return. And so long time ago I said that Zechariah chapter 9 was the third world war, but that's not old it is. But if you look at chapter 9 verse 1, 
It's very similar to the Isaiah that we just saw right now, right? Damascus, Hamath, right? Iraq and Iran, Tyre and Sidon, Tyre, and then Ashkelon is Philistines, right? In chapter 9, we see uh, the Philistines reign over, um, or, or, or the, the Israel reign over Israel, or Philistine. And then verse 11, what we see, that Israel takes great victory, starting from chapter 9, verse 11. So we don't know what battle, what war this is, but it speaks of victory. And then in chapter 10, that victory is spoken in detail, right? Uh, verse 7, then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior. And, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, uh, bring them home from the land of Egypt and Assyria. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low. <laughs> what battle is this? Last, long time ago, I said this was the Third World War. But this warfare is prophesied in verse three of chapter 11, right, that uh, Israel takes great victory. And then all of a sudden we see that the unity of Israel is broken down and that God's favor is no longer over Israel. And so this is going to happen. We don't know when or exactly what it is, but with Philistines and Jordan, Syria, Iran, Iraq. Now, of course, also in this battle, Ezekiel 37, 39, Israel will also be attacked, but they will still have the victory. And that victory will happen. And after that victory, Israel will once again be divided. And if that's the case, if this is during the tribulation, then when will uh, the when will there be peace in Israel? When will the third temple be built? And when will the religions of the world be united? This is what's moving in uh, in time, in good order, and so. So the remnant, like the prophecy of Daniel, uh, the church needs to reveal these mysteries. I'm not trying to do that. Rather, this is the season where these revelations are being revealed. And so it's not my work, but it's our work. So I'm not laying any conclusions. I'm not making coming to any conclusions. I'm just telling you that this is the time schedule. That there will be some kind of great victory in battle, in war. And they will be able to take uh, control of large regions uh, of the Middle East. And when you look at Obadiah, let's turn to Obadiah. Obadiah. 
In Obadiah chapter 1 verse 19, it says, Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Sephela shall possess the land of Philistines, and they shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Never once in history have Benjamin controlled Gilead. Benjamin is close to Jerusalem. Where is Gilead? Gilead is toward, toward the northeast of Jordan. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And they will control even uh, the Negev desert and all of that. And then in Zephaniah, we'll see that the region of control of Israel will be building lots of things even in the Negev. And so this is connected with what we saw earlier in Zechariah chapter 9. And so Israel will experience this great revival and this great growth. It'll be very short. It'll be very brief. But these prophecies of Obadiah and uh, um, Psalms, also Isaiah, also in uh, the situation that's described in Isaiah 17, these are all being connected together as one. And so what we need to determine and know is the time frame of God in these end times. And so raise your hand if you want to be the one who can organize this so that I can take a break. Okay, but anyways. So verse 14 has not yet happened in, in history, but it's soon upon us. It hasn't arrived yet, but it's soon upon us. Now verse 15, And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals. Okay, twice in the Bible it describes the Euphrates drying up. First is during the sixth, sixth great wrath, bowl, bowl of wrath in Revelations. And this is, and so because Euphrates dries up, the armies from the east can invade. But here, it's not the enemy invading. Who's invading? Right? He will lead people across in sandals. Who is he leading? We'll see in verse 16. Uh, for the remnant that remains of his people, there will be a highway from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came out from the land of Egypt. And so we'll in Isaiah chapter 60, when Israel is completely restored, uh, so this is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes and fully restores Israel. And so Isaiah 60 is describing this. And so in verse 14, we don't know what event this is, but it's, right, it's happening right before the end times of verse 15, 16. And so in order to interpret this, we need to also embed uh, various passages from Zechariah. So Isaiah being victorious, being divided, 
that's all embedded into verse 14. So just from the perspective of Isaiah, what's remaining to us? Only verse 14 is remaining. That's all that's left. Once verse 14 is fulfilled, that's everything. But in verse 14, there are many prophecies. And so we need to receive God's decision for this event of verse 14. So see how urgent the times are. There's no need to be anxious, but just understand that the times are nigh. Amen? So there's not much time left for the history of man. And the reign of God is moving very quickly. And so let us be vigilant, for if we are not, we will get caught up in the storm. Let us be vigilant. Amen? Amen? Okay, finished. So let's look quickly at verse 12, or chapter 12. Chapter 12 is a song. And this song, is it a song of victory over Babylon and Assyria? No, rather, it's a song of victory when the millennial kingdom comes. And as Revelations chapter 22, the new heaven and the new Jerusalem comes, new heaven and earth comes, the song of the remnant that they will sing at that time. So this is our song. This is the song of the victor, victorious remnant. And so, as many people, most many people, so, so many people will die in this Armageddon. And the remnant in Jerusalem, as they cry out to God, uh, they, they will lose all their bullets, they will lose, run out of munitions, and they will cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, you are the Messiah. Come and the heavens will split open. And this white horse, he will ride, come riding on a white horse with the priestly kings and come before the Mount of Olives. And from the Mount of Olives, he will make his triumphal procession through the Golden Gate. And so the priestly kings will ride with him, will be in that number. And so let us be in that saints. And so it's not too late. Learn how to ride a horse. And on that day, there will be a great earthquake. And in that earth, great earthquake, all of Palestine will become flat land. And there's great wa waters hidden in the valley of Gid Gidril. And that water will burst forth, bringing water, water to the Dead Sea, making that Dead Sea become filled with life. And as the earthquake happens, uh, the Golden Gate will rise up from underneath the ground. And those who enter through that golden gate are the priestly kings. And the millennial kingdom will begin. And there will be a great trumpet blown. And I will be there. I will be there. Will you be with me? So just imagining that is inspirational. Amen? So let us be there together. And if we are to be there, of course, it's not your works, but believe these words and let us be pure and holy. And finally, and finally, and finally, yeah, I, I have to calculate still, but, but for 40 days, this 
warfare of will be um, organized for 40 days, and so many people will die. And as it says in Revelation 16, all the things made by man will be broken down, will, 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 will sink into the earth. And God and Jesus Christ will be seated on the throne in Jerusalem, and in that day, the song that they will sing is this song here in chapter 12. And so, let's read it. You will say in that day, "I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation; I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord." Uh, uh, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Let's trust Him alone. With joy you will dry water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, okay, wells of salvation, it's the life of God. The life, the provision of God's life is being unlimited. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 4. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. And so, yes, Finally, all the nations, as they see his glory, there's no one who will not be able to deny that. And so his name will be exalted. Exalted. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. And so all the nations will, 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 will come to have pilgrimage. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He alone is great. Amen. He alone and He is seated in our midst. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us be the remnant who will meet with this glorious day. And so how precious is the person next to you? They are not just simply people that you will meet in, the, in heaven, but rather... Going through this tribulation and these trials together, praising the king together, standing before him face to face. And so this ministry of the remnant is so, 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 so precious. Because as Romans 8 says, that, with, that we are with glory is suffering. And so we're not just simply saying, oh, meet on that day. But even in all the suffering on this earth and the glory that we share together, we are going it all together. And because we're going through together, how precious is the person next to you? And so shake with the hand next to you. We share glory and suffering. Glory and suffering together. So... Now, Zoe Ministry, all we need is the remnant of the Messianic Jews. Then we'll be a perfect body. How precious. Truly, you are precious to me. Why? Because we're not just simply going to meet in heaven, but all of this time that is foretold, we are walking down this path together, tasting the glory, going through suffering together. And seeing the perfection of the new Jerusalem and praising him in his glory. And so how precious are we? Let us value one another. So even now, uh, with this conference, they're praying in Africa, they're praying in Central America. 
that wherever we go, they are praying for us together. And so we are close and intimate. And so we need to be able to die for the person next to you. And so in faith, let us proclaim, I will die for you. Truly, I can give you life, my life. I can give you my life, my life. In this one truth, for 20 years, we've been running together. Zoe Ministry, I am so grateful. So, 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 so grateful. And so, let us pray in closing. So let's pray. Lord, yes, Lord. In this time remaining to us, we are going to victory together and we are facing this together and the glory and the suffering we will face together. There is no one more precious than this. And yet, Lord, we have been divided amongst one another. We've fallen into despair. We've compared to one another. And so we confess our sins. But now, Lord, we do not want to be racked by the plans of the devil, but we want to be bound as one family, and we confess that we are one life. And so once again, being a relationship where we could give each other our life, just as we confess to one another, that it's not a simple confession, but that we would truly be united in this hope, in this promise. And so, Lord, we enter into this glorious season of being one family. And so, Lord, all the remaining conferences I lift up to you, Young Adult Conference, Central America, Africa, I'm not going alone, but we as a family are moving together as one body. Lord, all the grace that you have given, we praise you, we thank you, all the glory, all the anointing, let us take it home as our spoils of war and let us unleash it upon our churches, unleash it upon our families and with this power of prayer, let us trample on the devil and have victory. Yes, Lord, in this last session, Lord, I ask you, I call upon you to unleash the blessings of victory upon Zoe Ministry, upon all over the world. Help us to receive it in faith. Let us pray all together. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Lord, pour out your glory. Pour out your glory. With the victory, Lord, we spread it out to all Zoe ministry all over the world. Lord, to all these families. Lord, help us to value one another, to love one another, and to give life to one another. That wherever this servant of yours goes, knowing that Zoe ministry goes together, that we are burdened together, we suffer together, and we receive glory together. More, Lord. Pour out your anointing. Especially, Lord, I seek, I seek the power of prayer to be poured out upon everyone here. That whatever they seek in prayer, that they would receive. That they would find victory in the place of prayer. And Lord, now Zoe Ministry, may they be committed and dedicated to prayer. And that when they pray, that your glory would be unleashed 
that when they pray, your glory would radiate forth. Oh, Lord, come. Oh, Lord, come. Overflow. More, Lord. More anointing. The anointing of the king. Overflow. Overflow. Bless this remnant as they yearn. As they yearn to be more in the remnant. Call your remnant. Call your remnant. Gather your remnant. Build up your remnant. Bless your church who raise up the remnant, who hope to raise up the remnant. Bless their ministry, bless their inheritance. More riches, more anointing. More powerfully, Lord. May all the personnel, material, and, and spiritual authority of the church be multiplied into all the Zoe Ministry Network churches. Hallelujah. And so see, look. I sketched very briefly the eschatology. But see where God's um, emphasis is on in these end times. It is to gather the remnant. And so how precious are you, the churches, who hope to gather that remnant? And so God is looking upon you intently and is valuing you. And so these churches, these churches, the businesses that support these churches, how much more would God be wanting to unleash his blessing, his anointing. And so let us believe and engage in this spiritual warfare with the confidence that we have this victory. God will use Zoe ministry. Amen. Do not doubt. We are precious to God. So do not be divided amongst one another. We need to walk together and as a whole, Stand before God in glory. Amen. So I don't know when's the next time I will meet with the saints. But whenever the opportunity arises, I want to gather. But I don't know. We'll see according to my health and according to my schedule. But please pray. Please pray. If you want me to move, pray. It's easy to gather the pastors, but it's difficult to gather all the saints because it's, it's at a scale at another level. But we need to gather, yes? We need to gather, amen? Money is not an issue. My health is not an issue. We must gather, amen? And so please pray. And so lastly, let's bless one another. You are precious. You are precious. I thank you. And let's give glory to God who has done such good works in this conference. We thank you, Lord. You've done it all. To you be all the glory. This precious Zoe ministry, this ministry of raising up the remnant, pour out your blessing. Though we go our separate ways, may each church go back to victory, go back 
to a triumph. Lord, I bless and love these saints. Glory, glory, glory. Amen. And so before we split apart, let us give a shout of victory. Lord, this is the sound of the remnant. The sound of the remnant. Receive it. One, two, three. Amen, amen. Okay, the roof is still over our head. Come on, set the roof on fire. One more time. One, two, three. Let us pray. Lord, bless those who have served this conference. Bless the offering. May it be pleasing to you. Though a time of tribulation has come upon the world let riches flow through the remnant and help them to continue to flow and especially the businesses that are supporting the remnant church pour out ceaselessly that they may continue to bless the world and upon all the Zoe Ministry Network churches upon Zoe Ministry all over the world pour out your blessings pour out the spoils of victory and now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, to the saints who believe in perfect victory upon Zoe Ministry churches, may this blessing rest now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Enjoy your lunch.